Leo Roundtable at leoroundtable.com. Yes, produced out of the Boss Hog Radio Network in Plant City, Florida. Hey, uh, we've got a great show lined up for you guys. And hey, it is Valentine's Day. I don't know about you guys, but on my way home, I have to pull over and get a card for my wife. Yes, yes. So I'm just saying that for our panelists on the show, just in case you forgot to take care of your significant other. So uh, let me go and introduce our panelists, guys, if you don't mind waiting for the video portion of our show. Uh, we have uh, attorney Diane Morton Bailey. And, uh, you know, uh, Diane is, uh, look, she's famous for going up against the uh, the man, the agencies and stuff and doing right by police officers. So uh, Diane Morton, thanks for being on the show. Also, Chief Deputy Matthew Thomas. He's from Pinal County out in Arizona. I'm sure you had probably some great uh, Super Bowl seats uh, since we uh, just had Super Bowl out there. I want to hear a little bit about that, uh, you know, during the live show. So thanks. Also, a shout out to our sponsors. We have Motion DSP, Gauls, GunLearn.com, MyMedicare.Live, and we're fueled by uh, Bang Energy. Also, a shout out to the Free Press with Brian Burns. And I know Red Voice Media is carrying our programming through Ray Dietrich. So thanks for uh, the support and for the love. We appreciate it. Um, so let's get to our stories here. We've got some interesting stuff coming up. Um, this first one is an update. It's on policeone.com. There is a video component. And so look, for our radio and podcast listeners, we will go into great detail on anything that's got a video component so you don't feel like you're missing out on anything. So this first one, San Francisco's DA to drop charges against a cop in a fatal 2017 OIS, which is officer-involved shooting. Officer Chris Samayoa. Back in December of 2017, Officer Samayoa was in the front passenger seat of a patrol car. Body camera video shows him firing through the window, shattering the glass. So... Look, we're jumping to San Francisco on this, and and like I said, there's a video component. But remember, we're in San Francisco, in San Francisco, so we're we're in California. They do things a little differently out there. So on Thursday, San Francisco District Attorney Brooke Jenkins told the family of uh, Kieta O'Neill, a carjacking suspect who was shot and killed by San Francisco Police Officer Christopher uh, Samoya in 2017, that her office intends to drop the charges against the officer. Uh, that she says her predecessor, uh, Chesa Bowden file those charges for political reasons. So, wow, we have a, a DA doing the right thing in San Francisco. So according to the uh, San Francisco Chronicle, Jenkins informed State Attorney General Rob Bonta of her decision in a nine-page letter that she sent to his office on Wednesday. And in the letter, Jenkins told Bonta, the Attorney General, that she could not ethically proceed with the, the manslaughter charges against the police officer, Samoya, after formally looking into Bowden's decision to prosecute this case. And here's a quote saying that it appears that the case was filed for political reasons and not in the interest of justice. That's what Jenkins wrote in the letter. So imagine that. And she put this in print. I cannot pursue this case out of political convenience, given the conflicts that have arisen, the evidentiary problems and the complete lack of good faith surrounding the filing of this matter. We cannot ethically proceed with this prosecution. So, wow. How do you like to leave office and then have your your replacement write something like this? So the police officer, Samoya, had been with the San Francisco PD for only a few days when he shot and killed O'Neill, who was unarmed and suspected of stealing the California state lottery van. Uh, now, the police body cam footage, it shows O'Neill uh, running um, on foot past the patrol car that Samoya is sitting in. And then when Samoya, who's the rookie, opens the passenger door, he shoots O'Neill once through the window. O'Neill was later pronounced dead at a local hospital, and the police officer was fired a short time afterwards. So even though the shooting occurred in 2017, Bowden decided to file several charges against the officer, including voluntary manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, assault by an executive officer, assault with a semi-automatic firearm, and negligent discharge of a firearm. They really loaded him up, and they filed the charges in late 2020. The charges were historic at the time. 
Now, Jenkins said that uh, Bowdoin filed those charges just nine days before the statute of limitations on manslaughter expired. And the officer in interviews with investigators claimed that he saw our bad guy O'Neill reaching into his waistband as he ran past a patrol car, which, of course, was in his mind his justification for you know pulling the trigger and using deadly force. So that's what we have. We've got uh, a little over 10 minutes before we do our first commercial break. I'd love to hear what you guys you know have to say about this. Uh, Diane, I know that you you know broke down that nine page letter and you did some research on this. So why don't you go and start us off? Yeah, good, good afternoon, Chip. Good afternoon, Matthew. Great to see you guys. Yeah, I definitely nerded out on this nine page letter. And as you can imagine, I'm a former prosecutor and seeing a prosecutor take a very brave step like this is surprising. But also this very thorough letter lays it out. I think it's important to point out that with the robbery of the state lottery van, uh, O'Neill also um, injured the female driver in the process. So violence has already started and the high speed pursuit comes after that. It's important to note, as you said, Chap, that Samoya was a probation officer on his fourth day in the field. And the reason that's important is because the magic word here is reasonableness. They're always going to look to see what were the officer's actions reasonable and the officer's experience is going to be very important in that analysis. They're going to look at has he had any prior type experience with this? Well, he didn't obviously on the job. He's only been there four days. But they did say in his training, he had a training exercise that was almost identical to what happened here. It was with a white van and they did a training exercise. And Samoya actually got hit in the face with a paintball. And, and they said that the incidents were so similar that it was reasonable for him to react the way he did. So they talk about perception reaction time. That's a scientific term that some of the experts that looked at this looked at. And they said that his decision to shoot was made at a point in time. He had less than one second. It was 0.83 seconds from a distance of 2.7 feet to make the decision to shoot. So that was part of the analysis of the reasonableness. But what happened was too in this case was the prosecutorial process. Nine days before the statute of limitations was going to expire, which you wonder what have they been doing for these years that have gone by, um, the DA at the time asked the chief investigator for the district attorney to do an arrest warrant. So you never wanna hear the word rush when you're talking about a warrant or an indictment or an information, especially in a homicide case. That, that's a red flag to begin with. These are not things done in a hurry or done things without significant perspective. When the new district attorney Jenkins took over and looked at this, she talked to both Friedman as uh, the investigator as well as the um, other investigator and found out that they both had serious reservations about doing them. One of them actually broke down in tears. The other one got emotional and said, I have to get myself rid of these demons. They did not want to do this. Again, that took a lot of courage for them to step up and say what the truth was. They found out also that an ADA had done a PowerPoint for all the other team on the homicide case to say why they shouldn't file this case. That's important here because there's a Supreme Court case called Brady versus Maryland. I know you guys know about this. It's called Brady evidence. And Brady evidence is when there's something exculpatory, meaning helpful to the defendant, you must 
turn it over or the whole case could be reversed on appeal. And that, that PowerPoint could be Brady material and, and this new prosecutor thinks it is. If they don't think they have good faith to believe that this is actually a prosecutable case, the defense should have to have that evidence. So things just went from bad to worse. You've got the arresting officers not believing in the case. The ADA is not believing in the case. You've got expert witnesses supportive of the defendant's uh, viewpoint of how this happened and his reasonableness of how this happened. So uh, kudos to Jenkins for being uh, very courageous in this. Wow. Excellent. Excellent breakdown. Um, you know, uh, we, we're streaming live through on Facebook and YouTube and LinkedIn and Twitter and five sources. And I, I, I wrote to our, our people that are weighing in and conversing with us online that I have two very smart people on the show today and I'm not one of them. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, so you, you nailed it. So thanks a lot for doing the research on that. There was some, a lot of information that I, that I didn't know. And, and, and Diane, as you pointed out, um, Look, you need to do that. The officer in this situation needs to do what's reasonable, but what a reasonable officer would do in the same set of circumstances. And and, and that and that's the key. You also don't have to be in fear of, of death, you know, to use deadly force. You have to only be in fear of serious bodily injury to yourself or to someone else. So uh, a lot of uh, a lot of these things will actually take into the consideration, especially with all the additional information you provided, makes complete sense that you had a rookie officer in this position um, that had the previous training incident. Uh, where he was, and let's face it, if, if the bad guy would have been armed, he would have been able to, to shoot that officer. And there's not a, not a thing the officer would have been able to do about it because reaction is, is much slower, you know, than the action itself. Um, I know uh, Chief Deputy uh, Thomas, I know that in, in Pinal County, you guys uh, are on the cutting edge of, of all the stuff that's going down. Any, any comments? Yeah, I was wondering who that uh, second person was that was really smart on this. <laughs> Chip, if it's not you, it's not me, then it's Diane and someone else. No. Um, yeah, when, when I was looking at this case and then looking at the video itself, um, really, uh, you know, the, the video of the incident, but uh, seeing the prosecutor, the former prosecutor that um, wanted to take the case and wanted to prosecute the officer, um, something stood out to me, and I think this is – this is what's going on these days with these types of people is when he said, I think this is the first time in the history of this, this state or this office that we've prosecuted an officer like this. And so you could tell it's the, that they're looking for that grandstanding on the back of the officer who out, is out there doing a tough job. Um, and then it just, it, it's really disheartening to hear that he was immediately fired because somehow, some way we've entered into this world where we as police officers are no longer afforded due process and it's just, you know, a, a public trial. And if the public sways one way, then they've got to be right. And, uh, and, you know, nobody can go against that. And when you look at this, the, the problem is this for police officers these days. People need to understand it's a violent world. And normal people don't like to see violence. And we don't like to be a part of violence. But when it visits us, we have to respond. Because I have every right, just like everybody else, to defend myself. And I expect my officers to defend them those. And again, like Diane talked about with reasonableness, that's what we're judged by, not what a reasonable person who has no expertise in this field thinks because they don't understand it. It's those officers that are doing this job. It's a reasonable officer. So from their perspective, and I think in this case, Diane, you nailed it. Kudos to the, the new prosecutor for having the gumption to stand up and do what's right. Perfect. All right. Perfect timing. Uh, Chief, 
Look, commercial break. We will be right back. All right, guys, let's talk about Motion DSP. Now, Motion DSP has been supporting the law enforcement industry for over 15 years with a robust suite of video and audio redaction and enhancement software. The Motion DSP software is easy to use, requires no specialized training or expertise. You can save valuable time with Spotlight's one-click automated tracking feature and forensics a suite of enhancement filters. You can achieve results quickly in just three steps, import, process, and export. Now, Spotlight was built specifically for redaction. And it's designed to work with video from any camera source. So using Motion DSP's algorithms and object tracking technology, Spotlight automates the process of blurring faces and other identifiable information, and it saves users countless hours compared to manual frame-by-frame redaction. And with forensic enhancement software, that allows users to quickly process and analyze any video file format using patented super-resolution algorithms and enhancement filters to reveal an unseen level of detail. You can get forensically valid evidence from low-quality video in minutes instead of hours. Learn more at MotionDSP.com. Let's talk about Medicare insurance options. There's over 80 options in just Hillsborough County alone. Now, the benefits can change annually. So how do you know that you're getting the benefits for your specific health care needs? The answer is simple. Contact MyMedicare.Live or call area code 813-245-6656, especially if you're in the Tampa Bay area. Talk to James or Bobby. Meet with them in person. They'll save you money on your medication co-pays. Find plans that your doctors accept and get more of the benefits that you qualify for. So again, MyMedicare.Live. Okay, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show, broadcast from the Boss Hog Radio Network in Plant City. So uh, look, uh, if we've exhausted the last one, unless someone's got something else they want to add, um, I'd like to jump to the next one then. Now we're on Rumble, and I think that one of the best law enforcement uh, channels they have on Rumble is This Is Butter. So guys, please check it out. The title of this news story is Body Cam Video Shows Aurora Officers Shoot a Knife-Wielding Man. Put the knife down. down. Hey, listen, dude, we're here to help, man. I'm here to help you. Buddy, buddy, what's your name? Buddy, what's your name? Buddy, what's your name? Hey, come here. Sorry, supervisor. Come here, dude. Chill out. Come on. Put the knife down. Come on, I'm going to talk to him. Why don't you just drop the knife, buddy? Hey, stay back, stay back. No. What you gonna do, nigga? Listen, no, 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 sir, sir, stay back. Stay there, dude. Stay there, stay there. Drop the knife. Drop it. Drop the knife. 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 Drop the so we're talking about Aurora police. I see, I see Diane's already nodding her head. You know, she's ready to go on this one. So police said that they are dispatched to a home for a report of a subject armed with multiple knives and making threats towards family members at the scene. So, uh, look, this is, uh, I mean, any cop listening to this, they're going to say, well, this is okay. That's, that's pretty much typical. What's, what's new and different about this. So, uh, so stick with me. So once the cops get there, the officer's began several de-escalation tactics with the man who was holding a knife in the home doorway. They tell him repeatedly to drop the weapon. So the guy, of course, refuses the drop. one point he tells the officers, I swear to God, you will die. And he's talking to the cops when he says this. Remember, he's got a couple of knives on him. So officers tell the residents of the home to evacuate the house as they continue to talk to the suspect. So then the suspect continues saying, I guarantee I will stab one of y'all. Uh, and he, there's a little expletive there uh, by the end of the day. So if you come near me, I will stab you. 
So the man eventually, he comes out of the garage, but this is after he closes the door, the front door, um, and he's inside the house. He closes it to the officers, and he, he stops interacting with them. So they kind of get family members out of the garage door, and they're kind of like uh, uh, preventing the garage door uh, from closing all the way so the police can have you know access to this bad guy. So our bad guy eventually comes out of the garage door after shutting the front door. He's still holding two knives. Officers continue to order him to drop the weapon. So now we've got a cop that's got a pepper ball uh, gun. So he, he shoots him with pepper ball uh, projectiles, and the guy decides to charge the police while still armed with the knives. Not a smart decision on his part. So Aurora police, they shoot the guys he's charging, and then they get they render aid to him. They recover a third knife that he actually had in, in, in his on his ankle. He's transported to a local hospital listed in critical condition. So he may have uh, he may have uh, not dodged a bullet, but dodged potential outcome of dying from a bullet. Uh, so that's what we have on this. Curious what uh, what you guys might think about this, uh, Diane. You want to start us off again? Sure. Yeah, Chip. You know the thought that came in my mind when I watched this video is this is a full circle moment because. This family calls asking for help. You can hear the 911 call at the beginning that they need help. There's a small child involved. They're worried that people are fighting over this child, that violence is going to happen. So when the officers get there, they do a great job of de-escalation. They're saying, we're here to help you. We're trying to help you. Nothing's going to happen. Let's just come on. Let's talk about this. I lost count how many times they told him to drop the knife. He comes out brandishing two butcher knives. I got to 10 and stopped counting. They asked and asked and asked and asked almost. I, I wonder what you guys think. Was it too, did they wait too long? But they did a great job of de-escalation. But all the time you watch this video, your heart's in your throat because there are four people in that house. In a second, he can use those knives on those people, including a small child. So while the other officers are getting them out of the house, they're still doing the de-escalation with him. But what's important about this, they start there saying, we're here to help you. We're going to help you. We're de-escalating. And in the end, they jump on him and start incredible paramedic type work on him. They have chest packs, they have tourniquets, they have everything. And correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I didn't see them put gloves on. And I thought to myself, oh no, they're risking their own lives for some type of bloodborne disease. But that's how quickly they tried to help him at the end so i saw it as a full circle moment well i i, I think diane you're very very observant you know the, the women always pick up all the things that us guys miss you know the details like the gloves but you know uh, chief thomas knows as well as i do it's, it's you know they didn't use gloves because it was the police department and it's always the sheriff's office that have has all the cool gear so they probably couldn't afford to get the gloves like the local sheriff's office could and that's probably ex explains that one uh chief <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was it. That was it. it, it the sheriff's office. Yeah, we're, we're always ahead of the cops, uh, the police. Uh, no, I, I, I agree with Diane. Um, when you watch this and, and to her point about the, the loop of drop the knife, um, you know, officers know they can get stuck in that loop of, of just continuing orders, continuing orders, because you're really thinking, please don't make me do this. Please don't make me do this. Please don't make me do this. That's what they're saying. Right. Because none of us want to do what is about to happen and we're trying to talk this person in front of us out of doing what they're about to do and we can see it happening like it's in slow motion for you you see it playing out and you can see it in their eyes you can see it in their body movements they prepare to use violence and then these officers people just don't understand how overwhelming this can be for you when you're on scene because you're trying to process what the person is doing in front of you that you're dealing with you're trying to ensure that your partners are safe you're trying to ensure that the people who originally called you in the house 
remain safe. And so you're trying to accomplish all these goals and it is a huge mountain to get over. These officers did a fantastic job and, and starting off and people have to understand this. We are empathetic and, and compassionate human beings. That's who we are. We've got into this field because we want to help people. We want to help the world be a better place. And so they're starting from that place and they're trying to end that place. And we never determine the outcome. The suspect does. And in this case, he was determined to use violence. Obviously, he used it on his own family. And now we're there to solve a problem. And I think the officers did fantastic uh, from, from start to finish. And again, to Diane's point, it was evident at the end when they don't put on gloves and they just go to straight work to, to try and save this guy, it's because we are not out here to kill people. That is not our job. Our job is to save lives and we do the best we can. And sometimes the suspects are determined to keep us doing that. Look, it, it's, it's hard. You know, when you, when you call the police, you, you, you have to expect a police response. That said, I was very pleased with watching this go down. You don't want to do too little and you don't want to do too much. And so I just think that, you know, I'm glad to see that they decided not to go with the taser, which is more of a closer, you know, quarters, you know, kind of a tool, unless that, that new taser's got a 40, 45 foot distance, uh, you know, capacity, which is kind of cool. Of course, you're with the sheriff's office. You guys probably already have that. You probably have prototypes before they even came, got released to the general public. But, uh, uh, but anyhow, I was very pleased to see this go down. And I just wish use of force looked better. You know, it never, it never looks good on video. And, and, and it never will. And, and it probably, you know, shouldn't. Uh, but, no. uh, but yeah, I was, I was pleased to see that. So, so good commentary. Is there something you wanted to add? We got about 10 seconds, Chief. I just wanted to say that the, the, the edged weapon is a key piece, too, because that is a very frightening weapon for anybody facing it. Ah, excellent point. Guys, uh, time for another commercial break, but we will be right back. All right, so guys, you all have heard of Galls, I believe, right? Galls.com slash Leo. That's the link that you want to use. So look, they're the country's leading uniform, clothing, equipment, and gear provider for law enforcement. Now, they have a variety of offerings, everything from multi-tools and flashlights to duty belts and the tactical gear. I know growing up in law enforcement, now I started my career back in 83, but it was Galls Law Enforcement Supply. They had these thick catalogs that they sent out to everybody. And, and look, if you're in law enforcement, you have a family member or a loved one that is, you know, chances are, I guarantee that the stuff that they're carrying on their duty belt, you know, that's, Gauls carries all that stuff. And odds are pretty good that they got some of their gear, you know, from Gauls at Gauls.com as well. So highly recommend that you guys check them out. If you go to Gauls.com slash Leo, check out the deals that they're offering. A lot of times they'll offer specials that will give you free shipping, but they've got the coolest gears, everything, but guns and ammo. Highly recommend that you check them out today. Again, Gauls.com slash Leo. All right, guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show, broadcast live from the Boss Hawk Radio Network. I see that our uh, intro music starting to catch on because it was just uh, Chief Deputy Matthew Thomas that started doing the head bobbing, but we actually just hooked in Attorney Diane Morton with that. So they're both kind of starting to jam with the music a little bit. So uh, anyhow, um, I'm actually working with, uh, with the guy, Greg Billings, Greg Billings band, who's going to give us, I think some new intro music. So I'm trying to make that happen. So big spec on that. I know you guys are on the edge of your seats waiting to hear what, what song that's going to be. Um, so unless we, if, if we have anyone on the last topic that wants to weigh in, uh, fine. If not, I'll move on to the next one. We do have a, a video component coming up on this next story. Again, for our radio podcast listeners, I will describe in great detail what's going on. So you don't feel like you're missing out on anything. So in this next story, it's on. Uh, YouTube police activities, actually the channel 
Uh, body cam shows Elk Grove police officers shoot a homicide suspect following a pursuit. So, yes, we're back in California. So on February the 1st, 2023, so, yes, that's this year, um, just uh, less than a month ago, a couple of weeks ago, approximately 4.40 p.m., Elk Grove police officers, they're notified of law enforcement agencies that are in pursuit of a suspect related to a Sacramento County homicide investigation that occurred earlier that day. So the suspect and the driver of the vehicle, and he's identified as 22-year-old Devian Lewis. He's wanted for murder of his 18-year-old girlfriend. So, yeah. Great guy, right? So Elk Grove police officers, they assist in the pursuit as it enters their city. And as Lewis, our bad guy, is approaching the intersection, uh, his rear, he rear-ends another vehicle that stopped at a traffic light along with several other vehicles. So they've got a little bit of a pile up there. Officers engage Lewis. And he's the lone occupant of the vehicle. So we have three Elk Grove police officers. They fire their service weapons after Lewis starts to exit the car, holding what appears to be a firearm. They find a firearm in his vehicle on the front passenger seat. And later, after inspecting it, of course, it happens to be a replica firearm, not the real, not the real deal. Officers and deputies, they render first aid until he's transported to a hospital. He's uh, in stable condition and being treated for three gunshot wounds. So at least somebody uh, found their target on that one. Uh, comments on this, guys? Any, uh, any enlightening moments, any surprises or any shocks? Um, Diane, you want to start us off? Yeah, Chip, you know, my takeaway from this is, he had two weapons. First, he had the replica firearm that the police thought was a firearm, but second, he had a vehicle. And I remember as a young assistant state attorney, first out of the box, you start doing DUI cases. And they told us that a vehicle is a two-ton killing machine. And he's already caused this pileup. He's rammed into another vehicle. He's got that and a replica firearm, but the officers think it's a firearm. So he's causing all kinds of problems for the other um, people on the road as well. So. Um, I think this was a good shoot. Uh, it looks like they had good faith belief that he was going to use a weapon on them. And uh, I think they did a great job. Thanks, Diane. Uh, Chief Thomas, why don't cops wait and see whether it's a functional weapon before they use deadly force? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know this will seem very rational and uh, that would be odd to a lot of people, but that's how we die is uh, by waiting and seeing. Uh, we are behind the curve all the time as cops. We're, we're always reacting to what the bad guy's going to do. So unfortunately, uh, we don't get to go and do a playback or we don't get to, as my kid likes to say, respawn when we get killed. It's not a video game where we can just go reappear and then play the game all over again. This is real life. And so it's a, it's a life and death job. And we understand that these officers, I agree, did another great job. And I think the, the, one of the key points that everybody has to keep in mind here is this is a uh, homicide site. He has killed a person already. And so the fact that he has killed a person already means that he is the most violent of our society. And so when we are charged with dealing with the most violent of our society, unfortunately, sometimes these are the results that they choose the path and we have to use violence to stop them. And again, officers did a great job on this. All right. Excellent commentary, guys. Thank you. Um, moving along, 
I've got another article. It's this one's on Police One. So we have uh, San Diego County Sheriff's uh, region. So yeah, we're back in California. I, I don't want this to be the California show, but so far, I think all these stories are just about there. San Diego County Sheriff rejects stricter rules for housing transgender people in jail. So it's kind of just a little um, sneak peek into what's going on across the country. And uh, so in San Diego, we have Sheriff Kelly Martinez uh, will not implement a recommendation that tighten rules for booking transgender people in the county jails that coincide with their gender. Now there's there's a background story to this that helps make it helps it make a little bit more sense. So there's a Citizens Law Enforcement Review Board. They call it CLERB, C-L-E-R-B. And it recommended last year that the current policy be revised to mandate that an arrestee shall be taken to a facility that coincides with the arrestee's gender identity. So uh, in a letter released late Thursday, sheriff officials said that they would not be changing the policy because no change is needed. So, and here's a quote saying that the department believes CLRB's desired outcome, properly booking and housing all transgender arrestees, has already been met. Therefore, we will not be amending Field Operations Manual Policy 25. So the letter stated January 31st, so what, what uh, less than a month ago, signed by Lieutenant uh, Edward Greenwald of the Department's Division of Inspectional Services. Now, Greenwald also noted that, and this is where it gets interesting, they, there's already an existing policy that calls for deputies to receive, evaluate, house, and provide secure, safe, and humane custody of all persons, including transgender, intersex, and non-binary, who are booked into the San Diego County jail, same jail system. The policy says an arrestee should be taken to a facility that coincides with their gender identity. Um, so that's what we've already got. Any uh, any comments on this, guys? I know that we're we're seeing this more and more around the country and having to deal with it. Uh, Chief Thomas? Well, I can tell you, um, having a jail, you know, any, uh, well, most of the county sheriffs throughout the nation have and operate a jail, and it's one of the most difficult things to do these days because of issues like this. And while you're trying to respect everybody's rights, at the same time, you have to draw some clear lines in the sand for the safety and security of everybody in the facility that is there as a guest, uh, the people that work in the facility, and the uh, the public themselves by keeping these people locked up and safe. And so when you look at this situation, um, we, we deal with this on occasion where you have people that say, I identify as this, and that is fine for them. However, when you're talking about an institution like this, uh, you can see, just look at some of the local stories, that this has gone wrong several times where you put an actual male physiology in a female facility and that does not end well ever and so we have to have a clear separation for us and and we have to make sure that we are housing males with males and females with females and it really doesn't matter this is going to sound a little insensitive but it is what it is it doesn't matter what they think they are it matters what they actually are and that's what we have to operate under by by you know what making decisions based on uh biological makeup it just makes complete sense i i know there's people that just just don't get it and there's i didn't even read it but there was a lawsuit attached to that to this story that were um you know someone was put in a in a in a in a mixed environment with men that 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 beat her up it didn't say in the article whether she identified as female biologically or whether she just identified as female but but you're right there's just it's just a mixture for just too many things to go wrong and you have a responsibility to, to make sure it's safe for everybody, the general population, no matter how they identify. So it makes complete sense to me. So thanks for clearing that up and, and dumbing that down for the rest of us. Appreciate that. Um, moving along, we've got, uh, we're on 
Well, I have two and a half minutes before our next break. And, and guys, wow, we're already three quarters of the way through the show. But on Police One, there's a, a video component to this news story. And again, I'll describe in great detail what's going on for radio podcast listeners. But Denver officers, so I think we finally have left California. Denver officers, firefighters scramble to lift the man who tried to jump from a bridge. Uh, we don't, not that we need pats on the back, uh, because, you know, if you need a pat on the back, you, you probably got into this job for the wrong reason. However, I do like to highlight when cops are doing just jobs that are just enormously difficult and it kind of helps at least the people that are not involved in law enforcement help, helps them maybe not necessarily appreciate, but just kind of like get a better picture of what we have to deal with sometimes on a daily basis. This video, I think does that, um, just, uh, so you guys can kind of get a better picture of this. There's a body cam footage. It catches tense moments that Denver police officers and firefighters, so we're working with our brother firefighters, uh, grabbing and they're pulling a guy to safety after he tries to jump off a bridge uh, last week. This is a dangerous environment. This is going going down. And you've even got um, guys in a skiff that are there just trying to, to, to be able to, if they're in the position to grab this guy, they can do that to save his life. But Denver PD, they posted the incident on Facebook. Man, he's threatening to jump off a bridge as crisis negotiators attempt to talk him away from the edge. In the video, Detective Ruben Garduno, he's a crisis negotiator. You can see him talking to the guy. So the department said that uh, Grudano, along with other officers and a mental health cl clinician, they worked to talk the guy down for several hours. I mean, this didn't happen just, you know, for, for in a few minutes. Five hours after the initial call, the guy starts to run along the railing, an elevated railing, and he attempts to jump over the over the edge. However, officers and firefighters, they're able to grab onto the guy, pull him back to safety. It's just, it's one of those, it's not, I know I've just got seconds here before I have to wrap this up, and we'll get into it after the break, but it's one of those videos to where, um, you know, use of force never looks great, but these things look fantastic, don't they? Any uh, any quick words? We got about 10 seconds. Yeah, I think this was a great uh show the evolution of of law enforcement because we're Thanks, working Diane. side by side commercial break okay. we will be right back all right no matter how much you know about guns and ammunition there's that knowledge gap that leaves you confused and missing the complete picture gunlearn.com they've taken the confusion out of learning and they've made it easy gunlearn.com is the first and only company that offer a step-by-step -step program where they take you from your present knowledge level to become a safe accurate and competent certified firearm specialist now they provide citations from federal law and ATF rulings for every point to ensure accuracy and their training is approved by major forensic organizations, law enforcement agencies, and firearm manufacturers. Since 1996, they've taught everything that Leos need to know about firearms and ammunition to all facets of law enforcement. Now you can start the day with online training, or you can register to attend a live seminar. You can actually get free training for yourself and the personal at uh, your agency by hosting a seminar at no cost. So come aboard as one of the most firearm knowledge people in the world, by joining the folks at gunlearn.com and you know panelist dan o'kelly is his company highly recommend you guys go there gunlearn.com all right welcome back to the leo roundtable law enforcement talk show live from the boss hog radio network um and uh you know uh, on our commercial break there thanks for sticking with us guys i know all of our streamers are you know typing comments and stuff i was watching all the people doing the hair and makeup for uh chief thomas and uh diane morton so I think they got oh, everything squared away. I wish I had a makeup crew like you guys do. I mean, this is just, it's just, it's hardly fair, you know, being the host. It should be the other way around. But uh, 
Any uh, any comments on that last one where we have our uh, our guy that's having a crisis on a bridge and uh, and uh, disaster averted by uh, not only cops but firefighters? You got to throw the firefighters a bone every once in a while, right, Diane? Yeah, you know, I think what this is what I'm starting to say is this is you know, the evolution of policing and really community attitude toward mental health. If you think about back in the day, a guy standing on a bridge, a patrol officer would have been sent out to deal with him. And now we've got a crisis negotiator, a mental health clinician and a firefighter. They shut down the highway for five hours. They showed a real value of life to this person and ultimately saved his life. So there are a lot of heroes in this this scenario and i think that community should be very proud well i just want to point out diane that look if there's females listening to the show and maybe you want to like you know meet or hook up with a firefighter or a cop that's not the way to do it don't go to the nearest bridge think you can run around the edge and think they're going to show up and like you know take you out of your misery or something don't do that okay i just wanted to do that disclaimer i'm trying to put an attorney hat on and i'm i know i'm not very good at it diane so i'm just trying chief chief thomas no, I, I agree. It's, it's, it was a, a great incident, a great partnership. And uh, you can see, uh, you know, from law enforcement, having done this almost 30 years now, we have progressed quite a ways in how we deal with mental health. And uh, this is a perfect example of it, having crisis uh, just partnered with law enforcement and fire and everybody working together for a peaceful resolution for this person. Because, uh, again, I, I'll go back to the statements I already made. We don't do this job to see people get hurt or for us to hurt people. Uh, we see it to save lives and to make a better community. And this is a great example of that. They understood that this person was in crisis and there's a certain way we have to deal with that. And they did a fantastic job doing it. Now, now Chief, I, that little skip thing, that elevated basket, that's probably something that the local sheriff's office owns or something, I'm assuming. You know, that's probably <laughs> one of their little cool things, you know. That was kind of cool, wasn't it? That was, in fact, cool. And Chip, I don't know what sheriff's offices you've been hanging out with where they have all this equipment, but I want to work there, brother, because, no, we do not have all that stuff. <laughs> well, I, when I when I started back in 83, and I'm in Hillsborough County, Florida, um, the sheriff's office, man, they had all the coolest gear. They had they had the, the best pay. After that, the pay was going back and, you know, bouncing back and forth. But best equipment, best pay. Um, that's where everybody, you know, wanted to go. And I'm still impressed with the, with the gear that a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, sheriff's offices have, but, but speaking over where in your neck of the woods, you guys are, or you guys are, I mean, you guys are like on the cutting edge, but you're still, you're dealing a lot of, a lot of like border crisis stuff too, over there in, in Pinala County. True. I mean, aren't you guys like chasing down people that are like doing like smuggling stuff and all, I mean, you just have, you just never know who you're getting a hold of. Right. I mean, yeah. No, it's it's uh, our demographics for our county are all over the place. We have a huge county. We're 5,400 square miles. Uh, and uh, most of the western part of our county deals with the smuggling issues, the border issues. And uh, we're we're probably at about pursuit day um, with uh, either illegal aliens being smuggled or humans being smuggled or drugs being smuggled. So, it, yeah, huge problems here with that stuff. Wow. Well, at least, I mean, on the plus of that, no, no day is like the same day the day. You never know what you're going to get. I guess that's one part of this way to look at it. But uh, you guys are definitely on the cutting edge and using social media and informing the public about what you're doing and, and, and humanizing the job so that, I mean, you know, it, it's like the police community thing, especially in today's day, day and age, it can get kind of tough on, on, uh, on, on having those relations. Yeah. Yeah. And for us, um, Here's the deal. Like the sheriff, myself, uh, all of our members of command staff, we're just regular people. Right. And we're charged with 
leading an agency. Uh, and it's an honor to lead an agency. But every time that we move up in, in rank, we want our people to understand when you move up in rank, um, you don't gain, you do gain more authority, but we want them to understand that you gain more responsibility to everybody you serve that you're over. And so um, we come from a servant's heart and that's how we treat it. We come at it from a place of humility and we're just regular dudes doing a tough job and we like to have fun. We like our people to have fun. We want their job to be enjoyable. We want them to be better when they go home than we were when they got them rather than more damaged. And uh, I think today what we do differently here that uh, leaders across the country, I think, could learn from is to stay in touch with your actual uh, workers on the ground, uh, stay in touch with that realm, understand what they're doing, understand the job that they're tasked with and how difficult it is and be engaged with your community. And that doesn't mean, you know, just when something goes bad, that means all the time that we're constantly communicating. We're letting them see into our lives, whether it be our personal lives, our work lives, and social media is a huge piece of that so that we can just show them, here's all the stuff that we're doing. And we want you to be a part of it because that's the only way this works ever is that the community and the police partner and get things done. You know, you're right. There's so often a disconnect, even within the agency, as guys, you know, make up the chain, they just forget to to they forget where they came from and they don't keep those communication ties open to really to relate to what's going on, on you know, on the street. So I, I love hearing that. Yeah. And and for us, the model is simple. It, it's it's the big humility piece. Right. I, I think that's the key is is I don't want to make decisions because I think so from an ivory tower, like, uh, you know, this is my think tank and it becomes an echo chamber. I want to hear and see what they're doing and what their needs are so I can best serve them. And again, we come from a place of serving, uh, whether it's our public or our agency, I think you get it right every time. And then you, you do things for the right reason. And sometimes politically that's going to suck because when you do the right thing, um, it's going to hurt sometimes. You're going to take some punches and people aren't going to like it, but it's still the right thing. And I think that's what we're missing in today's world is leaders that are willing to stand up and say, no, we're doing this because it's right. And I really don't care that you don't like it and you can scream as loud as you want because it's still the right thing to do. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, we just have a couple minutes left, but I, I do want to cover this thing that's on Rumble. This is Butters, the channel again, stated uh, state grand jury votes against prosecuting two police officers who fatally uh, wounded, um, you know, a, a bad guy. And I, I'm not going to have time to get into the whole thing because I want to give you, you guys a chance for commentary. But uh, state grand jury voted not to, to do criminal charges in the death of uh, Julia Dale III, 61 years old, who was shot and fatally wounded by Newton police officers on July the 4th of 2021. So we've got um, Officer Garrett Armstrong and Officer Stephen Needle, who fired at Dale after he points a gun at them outside of his home in Newton. It's uh, 930 o'clock at night. Police recover a 45 caliber handgun near where our bad guy falls down 
and that's a serious caliber that you don't want to get you don't want to get hit with any caliber but that's definitely one that you don't want to get hit with so officers were responding to a 911 call from a family member so that story is the same as every other uh story that we've covered tonight and um uh concerned about dale's behavior the fact that he had a gun and of course when the cops get there you know they take care of business our our, our guy was a retired army veteran which is kind of sad he served in iraq and he was called back to the army after the september 11 2021 terrorist attack so and his, his wife is the one that ended up calling the police uh we got about a minute left but any uh any any comments on this uh on this shooting at all uh diane yeah, the really sad part about this is that his family did believe he was suicidal. And there's a terrible phrase called suicide by cop. And I'm afraid this is what this was because he purposely looks like he gets his gun from the back seat from what we can see and then points it at the officers. Now an experienced army veteran's gonna know what's gonna happen as soon as you point a firearm at police officers. It's terribly, terribly sad because it says that he had PTSD and might have been triggered by fireworks. I'd never heard that before. So uh, a sad end for someone who had served his country for quite a few years. You're right, there's, you're right, there's no good part to the story. And, and again, when you call police, I know you've got a, a, a family member that's in crisis, and you, but you've got to understand that you're, if you're gonna contact law enforcement, you're gonna get a law enforcement response and it's compassionate. And we covered some stories where just everything seemed to go right uh, today. Uh, but there are so many things that could have happened that make these things have a different kind of ending. Um, so I, uh, I appreciate our panelists for being here. Um, let's talk about Randy Sutton, Lieutenant Randy Sutton's organization, the Wounded Blue at thewoundedblue.org. You know, fantastic organization. Now, Randy could not be on the show today. In fact, you know, Randy's got a, a gig where he's on uh, Fox, uh, you know, every week now, which is great. So I think he's in, uh, in L.A. right now. But so while he's in L.A., we're going to talk about the Wounded, Wounded Blue at the WoundedBlue.org. They help officers that are suffering from PTSD. They've got a whole slew of officers that volunteer their time helping guys that call in that have PTSD issues. They help officers that are not getting the help they need from maybe agencies that they've had to retire out from and doing disability retirements or have medical issues and stuff. So if you're looking for an organization to support, I highly recommend the Wounded Blue at the WoundedBlue.org. Thank you so much, Chief uh, Matthew Thomas from Pinal County and Attorney Diane Morton for being here from the Tampa Bay area. Uh, Motion DSP, our sponsors, GallsGunLearn.com, MyMedicare.live, Bang Energy for fueling us. Thank you guys so much for the support. Hope everybody has a wonderful and a safe week.